0: This is my Bible. Today, I will be taught the Word of God. Boo! Get off the stage! The Four Horsemen. What you have here
1: is the Four Horsemen, united, live and exciting color.
0: Um, not those four horsemen. These four horsemen discuss theology from different viewpoints different perspectives as we show people how to have discussions without turning into a keyboard warrior are you stupid now here's dennis thurman adam black benjamin kerfman and
2: terry Hollifield, the four horsemen welcome to episode 500 of
3: (laughs) it only feels like 500 this (laughs) evening that's right. We've been to heaven and to hell tonight. <laughs> yes. And that's quite a distance.
2: And now we're going to talk about people that can get you there. <laughs> yes.
3: And we and we don't mean to heaven. We mean right. the other direction.
2: For those tuning in for the first time, I am your host, Benjamin Kerfman. I'm also joined by Terry Hollifield, Adam Black, and Dennis Thurman. Tonight we're going to talk about false teachers, one of our favorite topics. <laughs> he uh,
0: sounds stoked about it too Can you guys he, does. Tell he yeah. does he may fall asleep may and fall
2: contrary asleep. to those of you who are listening none of us sitting at the table are false teachers <laughs> uh, hey man <laughs> so let's uh, let's jump right in there what is a false teacher if, if somebody in your church comes up to you and they say hey what is a false teacher how would you define that tell you what you got he's contemplating
0: well, I'm thinking of the distinction between a false teacher and a teaches a teacher who teaches falsely.
2: Okay, so talk about that distinction.
0: Yeah, so you know, I think even the most orthodox teachers can at times teach something that is false. Mm-hmm. I, I know I've heard some of my old sermons that I have changed my position on things since then, and I would see what I preached at that time as false.
3: But you know what? You may have changed it and the end, find out you're right the first time.
0: That could be, that could be. Mm-hmm. But, that's your that's your point. Though. But either way, that doesn't make me a false teacher. Correct.
2: Mm-hmm. So you're saying a, a teaching can be false, and a person is not necessarily false.
0: Correct. Now, uh, but but I would say a false teacher is someone who their their core doctrine on the closed handed things that we've talked about, the essentials, are false. They are unbiblical, and sometimes anti biblical, counter to. The Bible, not just add additions onto the Bible, but directly and counter to the Bible as well. Um, so I, I, that's that's where I would say the, the distinction would be a, a good, solid teacher can be fall- wrong. They're not infallible. But there is also another category of a false teacher who uh, what they do and who they are is uh, falsehood.
3: And, and so just to illustrate that, someone who is regenerate can lie. They can commit adultery. But they're not going to be a liar, and they're not going to be an adulterer. And by that, I mean that's not going to be something that dominates their life. Mm-hmm. And so, in the same way, we might, you know, come across something that we say that's not quite right. Uh, now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. But we're not intending to to deceive. Uh, that's not our objective. Is to exegete right. the scripture properly. We just don't know everything. But someone who's a false teacher is someone that number one that the easy hit it out of the park thing is that if they're doing it intentionally, like these folks that are in it just for the money and just to lead people astray, they don't care because they don't even, may not even believe in eternity. They're just about here and there. I mean, it's easy to brand them as, you know, false
0: teachers. And that would be accurate.
3: It would be. Sure, yeah. But some people I don't think are sitting around thinking, I want to intentionally deceive people. They've just bought into lies, mm-hmm. uh, been seduced by doctrines of demons. And so... You know, they, they, their life then is marked by that. It's, it's marked by false teaching. And so that's who a false teacher is, not someone who just may err in a, in a particular way.
2: Okay. Adam, you have any thoughts on that? Well, from, a, from the
1: particulars, I mean, we're talking about false doctrine and things of that nature. Let's discuss that for a second. I mean, their position on Jesus. You know, Jesus isn't God um, that he was an angel or a spirit brother or a created being and, and things of that nature. So I think uh, that would be a line in the sand uh, of, of false doctrine.
2: So, um, so that kind of ties in with where do we, where do we draw the line? Right. Uh, so for instance, in our last episode, we talked about with the afterlife, there's a lot of things that are kind of speculative. So for instance, we talked about the doctrine of soul sleep, which is something that we wouldn't agree with. But I wouldn't necessarily call a person a heretic and a false teacher because they believe that. Mm-hmm. Same thing as if somebody believes the Presbyterian view of baptism. I'm not going to call that person a heretic and say that they're not really my brother or sister in Christ because they baptized their infant. So the question is, is what does it have to be? And we know when we get into doctrine, there's a lot of specifics. But what are those? what are those things that you draw the line on of, listen, if you teach something other than this, then you're leading people to hell. And if you know that you're doing that, if you know what the truth is and you're not doing it, then you're a false teacher. what are What are some of those things for the person that's listening that they're not a theologian, they're not a Bible scholar or anything else? If
1: you hear this, yeah,
2: exactly. If you hear somebody talking about this or if they start going off in some weird direction, you need to talk to your pastor or somebody that you trust that understands scripture to kind of guide you in that. So what are those flags that when you hear somebody say something, you're like, mm, I don't know."
0: Well, I mean, we can just call names, right? Yeah. Is that, is that fair to do? It's okay. If
2: somebody's a false teacher, they need to be yeah, called so, out.
0: So, I, you know, some of the false teachers out there all come from uh, uh, the same root tree. But um, I'm thinking in particular of like Kenneth Copeland's folks. Um, and he would say that, you know, God the Father is a physical being and is uh, six foot tall and twice as wide as a normal man, right? And so he said he's seen... And that the the Trinity, there's actually a Trinity of Trinities, and there's three within each one of the three, so there are actually nine members of the God. Like all this, truly wackadoo stuff, completely and utterly unbiblical things. Anytime somebody messes with the Trinity, the the nature of God, it's clearly heretical, clearly a false teacher. Okay,
2: so let's 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 drill down on that a little bit. Sure. Okay, there are groups. That are non-Trinitarian. For instance, one is Pentecostals like yes. T.D. Jakes, not yeah. a Trinitarian. He's a Modalist. Jehovah's Witnesses mm-hmm. are Arians. They are not Trinitarians. Right? Is it possible for a person to not be a Trinitarian and still be a Christian?
0: My conviction is no. And Athanasius
3: would have said no. Yeah, my- that was the big debate. You know, with Arius back. You go back to the
0: third mm-hmm. century,
3: and uh, you know that that was something that was. You know, he was willing to stake his life on,
0: you know. Yeah, and did stake his life yes, on it for yes. sure. Yeah, well, and and I think the reason that would be so clear in my mind is because Jesus was so clear about it. The New Testament's unequivocal about Jesus's divinity. And Jesus was unequivocal in saying if you don't have me, you don't have the Father either. And I and the Father are one, and Jesus took on the name of the I am for himself. Jesus accepted worship. Jesus claimed to forgive sins. All these things that only God can do. Jesus made a clear distinction between himself and the Father. He made a clear distinction between himself and the Holy Spirit who would come after him, who could not come unless Jesus left, right? So clearly Jesus himself believed that the Son is not the Father, and the Father's not the Son, and the Spirit is neither the Father nor the Son, and that Jesus also believed himself to be God. So I think the Bible's really clear. And so I would say... Um, non-trinitarianism is by definition false doctrine um, and someone who teaches non-trinitarianism is a false teacher and if you, I would say if you don't believe in the divinity of Jesus then you're not a Christian
1: so you would you would separate from a teaching standpoint, teaching against the Trinity or there's not a Trinity is false teaching, but... And, because it's a, obviously a question Right, issue. but like chasing a rabbit trail, I mean, it's, it's you know, do I think someone can be saved without believing in the Trinity? I believe so. Thief on the Cross the concept, you know, the Trinity, I believe, it's almost like how much do you have to know to be saved? And I think it's really a matter of...
0: Yeah, and for our listeners out there, a good resource for that is uh, Norm Geisler has written a great paper on the essentials, but he talks about certain things have to be true for Christianity to be to be true and for you to be saved. And then there are other some things that you have to believe that are true in order to be saved. So for example, he would argue and I would personally agree that the Bible must be inerrant, right, for you to be saved. However, you can be saved even if you don't believe in the inerrancy of scripture.
3: Well, you might not have a clue what that word even means.
0: Correct. So, so I think a, a good thing for our for our listeners might be to, to begin to look in to understand those distinctions between what needs to be true versus what do you need to believe to be true.
3: But but I think what will happen, though, Adam, is like if, if that thief that died on the cross, let's suppose that uh, he hadn't died and uh, he recovered and he went on and lived as a disciple, he, he would have grown in right. his understanding of who Jesus is. And so in the same way, I think, when I was first converted, if you'd asked me about the Trinity, I'd have probably had a glazed look on my face. But I knew who Jesus was, and I knew I'd given my life to Him. But because of the Holy Spirit, the Teacher in me, there was that yearning to get into the Word, and as I did, I grew in that in that understanding.
0: And you believe, but you believed in the divinity of Jesus right yes, right of away, course, sure, of course. But I mean, with, that was Ben's question to me.
3: Well, but yeah, but let me come back to
0: that. Okay,
3: if you. If TD Jakes were here in this room and you ask him about Jesus, mm-hmm. would he not believe? And I'm not trying to defend him. Would he not sure. believe in the divinity of
1: Jesus? Probably. He, wa- yeah. he walked away from that elephant room discussion. and They all were in agreement.
0: Yeah,
2: he's he, yeah because they kind of rounded the corners off of their, right. their theology. But yeah, but
0: but to, to your point, Dennis, I don't think TJ TD Jakes is coming from a position of ignorance
2: either. For me, that's kind of the yeah. straw on the camel's back of if it's. You know, the sweet grandma that's never even owned a study Bible, I don't expect her to say, Well, yeah, I affirm, you know, the Trinitarian mode of creation and God's purpose and election and Jesus' purpose of redemption and the Holy Spirit's purpose of regeneration. And no, I don't expect them to believe all that. But if you're talking about somebody who has studied the scriptures, who is stepping into the role of a bishop or a pastor or an elder, of a church leader, knowing that the scripture clearly says there's a stricter judgment for those who teach. When you do that and you are corrected with the Word of God and you refuse that correction, you're a false teacher. Because what you're saying is I'm inviting the judgment of God on myself by knowingly teaching falsely after being corrected with the Scripture. Well, I wouldn't say
0: that he he knows, he would have known necessarily that he was teaching falsely. I, I don't think he all false teachers, like Dennis was saying earlier, I don't think they necessarily set out to teach falsehood. You know, but it doesn't change the fact that what they're teaching is false. You yeah, know? yeah.
2: So, I, so I'm going to say something that will strangely warm Adam's heart, and that is that we are saved by grace and not by theology. Amen. Right. <laughs> and that's something that the Lord's been dealing with me about is that I am saved because Jesus died on the cross and took my place. That sounds I'm like not, theology. I'm not saved. It, it it is theology. But what I mean is, is that when you try to draw that line of is this person saved, is that person saved. I don't know. I don't know whether another person is saved or not. And it's not my job to know. Well, your pay grade. But, yeah. you, but
0: you can tell people what the Bible says it takes for them to be saved.
2: Oh, absolutely. But sure. what I'm saying is, is you know, I have friends that are Catholics. I think the Catholic Church preaches a false gospel. I think that when it comes to justification and other things, that that is false teaching. I think the papacy and, and all the rest of it is heretical. Do I believe that there are people that attend a Catholic church every week and and accept Catholic doctrine that I am going to see in heaven? Yeah, I think I probably will. But, but I, I think put, I think that they're wrong, and I would tell them that they're wrong.
0: So, would you put any parameters on what someone must believe in order to be saved?
2: That's kind of the question I am asking. Yes. Is is what what are, what are those things? Because I think there is a lot that we can get wrong and be saved because we're not saved by having correct theology necessarily. We're saved by Jesus. Right, but but I also I don't. I, to do I, also, the I also don't Jesus, want the Right. Jesus. I don't want to I I'm not talking about unhitched Jesus. Yeah. So the question so the question is does it really just come down to christology then? Is that kind of the central Well, I would say christology thing? would
0: be the core of
2: it. Historically it, it has been. All other things. H- historically christology has been at the center of it. So for instance I was uh, Dennis uh, reference Athanasius, the Athanasian Creed, which wasn't written by Athanasius, but was derived from his theology. The beginning of it says, uh, "...whoever desires to be saved should above all hold to the little c Catholic faith." That's the universal Christian faith. "...anyone who does not keep it whole and unbroken will doubtless perish eternally. Now this is the Catholic faith, that we worship one God in Trinity and the Trinity in unity." neither blending their persons nor dividing their essence and it goes on a lot more yeah. but basically it's saying straight up you will go to hell if you don't believe in the trinity that's now that's not scripture that's, right. a, creed. that's a creed but yeah. the historic position of christians has been if you do not believe in the full divinity of jesus the equality between the persons of the trinity and the distinction in their personhood you will go to hell
0: well i think i think everybody all christians would well all Orthodox Christians would believe that people are saved by grace, um, by Jesus' atonement, period, and outside of that, nothing. Um, however, what that looks like from the position of the human being uh, um, in response to God, I think there has to be a, a, uh, an understanding, bowing of the knee to certain truths. Namely, I'm a sinner. I need to be saved, you know. I need I need reconciliation with God, and that only comes through Jesus. I'm going to seek, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna respond to His call in my life by bowing the knee and recognizing Him as the King He
2: is. So I, Catholic, I, so Catholics believe that.
0: Yeah, I, but what I'm saying is there are that to me would have to be something that it's not, um, it's it's not sufficient to say, well, we're only saved by Jesus. That's true. But I think it, it we need to make a further stipulation that there are indeed certain things that you need to believe.
2: And so so the, I guess what I'm getting at is, is that that becomes kind of the slippery slope of how much is enough. Mm-hmm. Because, for instance, if you say, well, we're saved by grace through faith, the Catholic Church teaches that, that Jesus died on the cross and he purchased grace for you. And you were able to access that grace and yeah, you were able, able to get that grace, grace but it's not. It's by grace, grace and, alone, right. It's grace through faith grace. alone, right.
3: But when you add on, what did Paul say to the Galatians and those teachers that were adding on to grace? He he, he pronounced anathema on right. He sure they did. Let them be accursed. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty strong language.
2: He sure right. Did. And so so what I'm saying is is it does have to be more specific than just saying that. But then you've also got passages where he's saying. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Right. So it's like, okay, confess and that's a simple statement, but the question is how much theology has to be behind that? Yeah. Like Dennis said, which Jesus are you saying that is your Lord, and what do you mean when you use words like Lord? That's when you start getting into theology, and the thing is, is if you follow, follow that trail down far enough, I can say this from experience, if you're not careful, you add on so much theology, then it's like you and three people that are sure. saved, and you're not really sure about everybody else. Right.
3: Well, and and to me, here's the bottom line. Uh, John says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God. So we are charged to do what we're talking about tonight, to have this conversation. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. That's obvious and we can name them. You mentioned Kenneth Copeland, for one. By this you know the Spirit of God. So here's how we know. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. So there's the the incarnation, the God-man, and his work. Every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you've heard was coming That's now already in the world. So Jesus is the is the pivotal uh, part of this thing that that if, if we do not, if we err concerning him, then then we've missed it. If we get it right, then we're saved. Doesn't mean the other teachings and doctrines aren't important, but, but that's at that's at the very core of it. That you cannot miss, and it's got to be the real Jesus, God in the flesh, and and lived that life and atoned in His death and rose again. And any other kind of Jesus has no power to save you.
0: Yeah, it's a it's a, it's like putting a, a jelly label on a peanut butter jar. You can label it whatever you want, but it's not the real thing, baby. Yeah. You know? <laughs> right.
1: Well, Throw you can also, and I, I think. Uh, I was thinking through this from the salvation standpoint, and but I think a lot of what we're discussing is kind of the pursuit of holiness and that pursuit of the relationship with Jesus. Um, it's almost like the abiding in. You know, you're going to bear fruit, and so if, if if you're growing and you're pursuing holiness and you're pursuing that relationship with Christ, then then the rest of the theology and the right theology from the Bible will kind of fall into place. Um, but as far as from a false teacher, I think if you're teaching. Wrong theology, regardless, um, then yeah you're you're a false teacher. you know if if there's no fruit being bared, um, biblical fruit, then you know then it raises raises the flag. But I think one thing I wanted to bring up because I know this is the one of the things that started this uh, conversations, but do you think that uh, methodology in preaching? Uh, raises some flags towards uh, false teachers.
2: For example, Joel Osteen. What do you mean by methodology? Explain that a little bit.
1: Would you consider what Joel Olstein does? Would you consider? Well, let me ask this: Is he a false teacher? Would well, you I would consider say that he's a false teacher because he's definitely he doesn't a false false
0: the gospel? Exactly. Okay, so so go into that. Yeah. So the gospel says that. Um, Jesus alone saves. It's not about works. It's not, you know, all that kind of stuff. It's not a works-based salvation. Joel Osteen doesn't... That's not the gospel he preaches. Mm-hmm. Um, he he preaches a, a more of a prosperity kind of gospel. In terms of methodology, I would think of someone like Stephen Furtick right. where it might raise a
2: flag. Can you so, preach Jesus with a super sucker?
0: Right. Well, and even beyond that, you ask, yes. sh- d- should methodologies raise flags? I, th- I think it... I think methodology doesn't necessarily mean you're a false teacher, mm-hmm. but I think it should maybe raise f- flags, so you should pay more attention. You know, um, Paul. When Paul talks about these false teachers, he often talks about that they use it for sensuality, and I think if if we look at some false teachers, how um, you know, we, I guess I we'll would just call it like it is, or like I, how I see it. You know, I see someone like. Uh, Furtick, um kind of wants seems to me I don't know the guy so I'm assessing from afar uh, but he seems to me to be very interested in appearing um, as a sex symbol of, of sorts you know the deep V and the tight pants and the you know whatever. How
3: about money sex and power? Yeah, the unholy Trinity.
0: Yeah so so does does those things necessarily or do those things necessarily make his doctrine false? No, they do not. But that methodology, that uh, that appearance, that what I see from afar, third party, him striving for, makes me perk up and want to know more about his theology.
1: But I think the problem with that is from a slippery slope is, uh, and I had I've actually faced this initially, but I don't wear a suit and tie. Yeah, so, and I had some of the almost. I'm going to pray for you. <laughs> But I mean seriously. So I think that yeah. But my, you're not trying to appeal as sexy to the women in your congregation. But we don't know that he is. Somebody I don't could, know some, that. No. Somebody could say that about myself, and I'm wearing what I have on. Yeah, I don't, I don't know that. I mean, I will consider myself a sexy. Right.
0: <laughs> I, I don't know that that's his goal. Oh. Right. <laughs> um, but but it does it does seem at least to be his part of his goal. Well,
3: and, and I think very clearly he's. The, the celebrity mentality it yes. comes out in his conversation as well as his appearance, and to me the methodology is, it's 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 kind of like one of those things that's a, a trigger uh, that that causes you to stop and think, you know what's behind this. You know
1: and, what are you what are they drawing attention to? Right. Is a
0: good is a good question.
1: But I think a lot of that, and this is this is where I, we've had these discussions. I think a lot of that is in our preferences towards methodology. It could be. Sure. Cause I mean, just like you brought up, he's talking about preaching with a soup, super circle. Well, I mean, I, I didn't see that, but I, because I would say I would never do that. Doesn't mean that it's wrong.
2: So I'm more concerned with theology than methodology. I could probably name five or 10 people I right now whose preaching style is just totally different. You know, the way they dress is different. They're, Mannerisms, uh, when they preach, it's different. Whether or not they use objects and object lessons is different. I don't think that any, any necessarily any of that is like I can point to a verse that says you can't, you have to wear this type of clothing, or you have to sound this way, or you have to say these certain things. But I think the theology is really what's most important. My biggest concern is when I see snippets of different guys or even ladies that are preaching. You know, I see these little clips on on YouTube or on Facebook, or I see. An advertisement, or they're sharing something on Twitter. Here is a clip from our s- service last week. When I start seeing that stuff consistently, and I never, I never see sin mentioned. I never see the fact that that people are sinners that need to be saved. I never see the idea of Jesus having to die in the place of sinners. I never see lordship preached. That those are all big flags for me. So, like, like I issue challenges. So, for instance, I've said this before on the podcast. I used to have issues with Perry Noble's methodology. Uh, Now I have a lot more issues than I did before. But when he was at New Spring, I didn't like the way that he preached about a lot of things. And I didn't like a lot of things that he said. So in my mind, I considered him to be a false teacher. Now, I issued a challenge an elephant Room, of if somebody can send me a clip of Perry Noble preaching the gospel that people are sinners and that they need to repent and trust in Jesus for their salvation I will take back what I said and I believe it was you Adam that actually sent me a clip of like an Easter message or something where he did clearly preach the gospel that people are sinners and they need to repent and trust in Jesus yeah and so and so I take that back now I think Some of the fruit of what else he was doing has come out now, but I don't believe that he was necessarily a false teacher. I've issued the same challenge for, I don't know, several years now for Stephen Furtick of... Somebody give me a clip. If you're listening to this podcast and you're an elevation fan, which you're really mad right now and you probably already turned it off because <laughs> I, te- because uh, I we'll tell because I tell people we'll
3: give you his number at the end of the broadcast. Five, I, well, I, five, five. I tell people it's it's he like the bloody me.
2: Mary thing, you know, if you say bloody Mary three times in a mirror, she appears. If you say something about Stephen Furtick three times on Facebook, all of his followers will appear and try to shoehorn him in an orthodoxy, which Furtick is what always LeBron. happens. One one of the two. Well, I I don't I don't watch sports, but but my issue is, is like I have no problem with the guy personally. I mean, I don't know him, I don't I don't really know anything about him. What I do have a problem with is is why can nobody give me a clip of him preaching the gospel? If somebody will just do that, I'm like, listen, I can ignore the other stuff. There should be hundreds. That's the I can disagree. Thing. Right. You shouldn't have to search to find something. Right. You, you and this all, is
1: where y'all might jump me. But here's where I think the methodology comes into it, because I can get up there and say, You need to repent, you're a sinner, you need to ask Jesus into your life, he's the Lord of your life. People will do that. But with with our society, more and more people are saying, so what? And it's not that you're avoiding the gospel, but you're you're applying the gospel to everyday life. How does it how does it affect my marriage? How does it affect my money? How does it affect my life in general, of saying Jesus is Lord of my life? And so I think a lot of those guys, when and I guess you would consider them topical pastors, are dealing with everyday
2: things of life.
3: Felt needs to get to the real needs. Yeah, yeah, but but, but they, they get, get the real they
2: get to it though. That's the difference. Well, I, I know guys, I would. I would, right. Sure. right, I know guys that are topical. So I'm not like I'm, topical preaching is not my preference. But I don't think there's anything necessarily unbiblical. I think I think you have to be diligent to be faithful to the text. But I think it's very possible for people to do that. Sure. I mean, I'm if somebody invites me to preach at their church, I'm preaching topically. I'm not just going through whatever book they're going through most of the time. And so I'm trying to be faithful to the text in doing that. The difference is is there's not a whole lot of Bible texts that you can preach that don't say something about sin or God's holiness or repentance or, or the Messiah. There's, no, there's just not a lot of text in the Bible that you can preach and not have to deal with that at some point. So when you're talking about somebody that's been preaching for years or people that have preached for decades— and like Dennis says, you're just scrounging to, to find something. It's kind of like, how much of the Bible are you really preaching if you're just never getting around to those kind of topics? So I'm not saying like every week, you know, like, like right now we're preaching through the book of Ephesians. It's not like every week we're saying, you know, we're going to preach about how much of a sinner you are and how much you need to repent, and we're going to do an altar call till somebody gets saved. That's not what we're doing every Sunday. But you can't go through a book like Ephesians and not hit sin and repentance and the need for Christ and holiness and also hit those practical things of how do husbands and wives relate to each other? What is the church supposed to function like? And you hit all of those things by preaching through scripture. So my concern is, is maybe the reason why for a lot of guys and girls that are in, that are, have these big ministries, the reason why we're having a hard time with them potentially being false teachers is because there's just not enough Bible there to even know whether they're really preaching the gospel or not. And if all I'm preaching is to felt needs, like Terry said, at some point you have to get to the real need. Because the reality is you can go straight to hell with a great family and a good bank account and a great job and all your kids are happy and everything else and you will die and go to hell. And so I'm not saying that the Bible doesn't speak to real needs because it does when you're interpreting it properly. But people's greatest need is is to recognize that they're a sinner and they need to be saved. And I just don't hear that preached in some ministries.
3: Well, to me, it it sort of comes back to the the doctrine of the the perseverance of the saints in that. Amen. When I'm I'm saved, I receive God's grace, and that grace goes to work in my life. So much so that if it's real, I'm going to continue on in that faith. Yes, I may have some struggles, but, but God's going to keep working in me and through me and so I'm not saved because I endure, mm-hmm. but I endure because I'm saved. Yes. And, and so in applying that to a, a, quote, false teacher, I think that when you first are converted, there's many things you don't know, many things you're ignorant of, but there's going to be that endurance of moving in the right direction of orthodoxy, of sound theology. that's going to continue to, to grow and move forward. And if you don't do that or you start out and then you, Go sideways somewhere, uh, then to me that's that indicates a false teacher.
0: Well, we see that with Paul, right? Or uh, not Paul, but Apollos, right? He started out. Oh yeah. With fire and with and what all that. he knew, with which what wasn't he enough. Knew wasn't enough. Gifted in preaching. Gifted, absolutely great communicator, and but then was taken aside by a, a godly couple and said, Hey, man, listen, can we train you up a little bit? Um, so yeah, but he was teachable. He obviously responded well to that.
2: He was accessible. One of the things that you notice yeah. about false teachers is nobody can get close enough to rebuke them. Right. Yeah. And my favorite is is when you say something about a false teacher online, everybody comes out of the world. You don't know his heart. You don't have the right to judge him. Judge no why, why, why not don't, Why don't you tell him yourself? I've had people say that to me. Why don't you tell them yourself? I've been like, listen, I, I've contacted pe- people before that I thought were false teachers and said, like, I will sit down with you. I've talked to people that are on staff at their churches if you can get me in a meeting with them. I'm not hiding from them. I don't have a problem to sit down and talk to them, but guess what? They don't want to hear people like me because I'm a hater and everybody that disagrees with them is a hater. Well, I I would caution us with that
1: because I think we, we mentioned it earlier, the new spring, all that happened down there with Perry. Before all that happened, people's perception of Perry is no one can get to Perry. No one's talking to him. No one's you know, he's running it. He's, he's all that, but behind the closed doors, he was fired by a group of people that held him accountable. So I think that we have to be real careful with that because for example, uh, probably when I worked at the Cove and I, this sort of relates, but there's a list of people that are not allowed on the Cove property because there's all these people that thought Billy Graham was a false teacher and wanted to talk to him. So, you know, if you wanted to talk to whoever and said, Hey, I need to talk to you about this. Well, they're probably not going to talk to you. You know what I'm saying? So I think we have to be cautious in a sense of from afar, from afar, fire truck, um, but from afar of saying, well, you know, no one can get to them. No one can. It it might be a situation. Now, if it's somebody that you do know, you know, and they're not willing to listen and you confront them, that's a whole different topic.
2: But but I would say there's a trend with false teachers and pastors that have moral failures in the lack of accountability. You very rarely see somebody that really blows it that has an adequate amount of accountability,
0: and, and we are called to to judge. Dennis read earlier to to judge these spirits. Not everyone is from God, and, and Paul spent mu- much of the New Testament talking about false teachers. So we are we are called to be wise and make sound judgment. And I'm not Furtick's judge or even Kenneth Copeland's judge or anybody else's judge. That's Jesus, but I am called to to be discerning and and judge their doctrine and as our listeners should be discerning and judge what we're saying and for our own health and for the health of our brothers and sisters in Christ we have to make those those kinds of judgments so okay. it's not, it's not wrong to make judgments
2: so two things i want to cover before we wrap this up one is is by what standard do we establish someone is a false teacher so i would make the argument that creeds and confessions are helpful in exposing false teachers. Now, that being said, there's differences between creeds and confessions. So, for instance, Southern Baptists generally do not consider themselves creedal people. You're probably not going to go in your average Southern Baptist church and hear the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed or the Athanasian Creed. But they are confessional because they have the Baptist faith and message, which is a doctrinal statement. Well, why do they have that? Why can we not just say, well, we have no creed but Christ? Well, because that applies to pretty much everybody. So, as Baptists, we have to draw a line— and say, okay, here are some of the things. Like, you can't be a Southern Baptist and be a non trinitarian You can't be a Southern Baptist and deny original sin. You can't be a Southern Baptist and teach that there is no resurrection from the dead.
0: But you could be a Christian and deny original sin, for example.
2: Well, right? but, but see, the thing is, is that's where it's debatable. Yeah. So, having a confession that you as an individual, like for our listeners... You need to study the Scripture for yourself, because that's the authority. And based on what you believe is biblical doctrine, it may be helpful for you to find a confession of like-minded believers that is not on the same authority as Scripture, but it may help provide some guardrails. Mm -hmm. For instance, like we mentioned in a previous episode, catechisms are based off of confessions. So, for example, the Second London Baptist Confession, the 1689 Confession of Faith, is a historic Baptist confession, okay? Now, I don't agree with every single thing in that confession, but I think the bulk of it has a, a lot of helpful things that, for instance, I would want my children to know. So that when my children hear something like, you know, well, Jesus, he didn't really bodily rise from the dead. It was his spirit that rose from the dead. They can respond and say, wait a minute, that that's not what the scripture says. And they know that because they've been taught that, and things like confessions can be helpful in doing that.
0: Yeah, and I think another—I don't know if you want to go there yet, Ben, but I think another good thing for folks would be a good systematic theology, you know, where we can say—we can actually go and, and test our own beliefs, take every thought captive according to Christ, and make sure that they match up with one another. We sometimes hold ideas in our head that are completely incompatible with each other. I don't know how our heads don't explode. It's unbelievable. And and I found it to be true in my own life, <laughs> so I think it's good to have a, a good solid systematic theology. Um, so
2: I'm know. gonna guess this will be our game for this episode. I'm guessing that Terry is gonna do Geisler. Yep, for sure for Norm, systematic Norm, theology. Norm,
0: Norm Geisler systematic theology. It would be my recommendation. Andy my,
2: Stanley. Uh, <laughs> Andy Stanley doesn't do theology. It's a, <laughs> um, <laughs> it's a tract. <laughs> Front and back is like a little post-it note, <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, I mean, if you if you only need the New Testament, if you only right. need the resurrection, it's only like two verses, right? So, and yeah,
1: that's debatable. You know, agreed. You mind. agreed with him earlier um, the
2: way My guess for Adam would be Grudem, Grudem. probably. Yeah, Because yeah. he's probably a little yeah. more charismatic than I am. Wayne Grimm, systematic theology. And I would I would guess Grudem for Dennis, but I'm I'm wondering now based on the look for theology for systematic theology yes,
3: that would be. Uh, Lewis Perry
2: Schaefer. Okay, uh, tell us about that one because a lot of people have heard of Grudem. A lot of people know who Gageley is because we talked about. Well, Sh- yeah.
3: Schaefer was uh, was in on the uh, early days of Dallas Theological Seminary, so we're looking at a.
0: And you a like Theeson's too, don't you? I do. Yes.
3: So that
2: so that's going to be a good dispensational PM? one, right? Yes, it's going to be dispensational. <laughs> if it came out right? of Dallas,
3: absolutely. But uh, if a layperson is just want a one volume, yeah, theson's book is one I would recommend, which is also
0: dispensational.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And my recommendation would be uh Lewis Burkhoff. Would be so my recommendation. Maybe. Yeah.
0: So there you have it. You have Geisler, Grudem, Thiessen, and Burkhoff.
1: But I, I want to add to this and it might explain get in the word. <laughs> like, un, get in the word. Sure. Study scripture. And and this is where you can get in danger. But for me personally, if it don't feel right, it ain't right. That's not true.
2: Mm. No, and,
1: and, and, That's and let me. That's true. true in my life, in the sense of hearing false things. Uh, I've had people that will uh, say, "Hey, listen to this person." And I'll listen to them and something will go ding 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 ding. Yes. And once it's I dig spicy. into that, it, that's
3: that's the anointing of the spirit.
2: I yeah. thought grace the was unction, wrong for unction. a long time,
3: right? Yeah. The, the unction that God gives in First John, I, I think there is that radar,
1: now, but I, I, but I do think Christians
0: can be deceived, so they got to sure. be careful because some things feel right to right. them that are totally wrong.
1: But, like, but, but even, but even in that sense, I mean, like the prosperity gospel stuff, you can hear it, and, it, oh, yeah, that's exactly what I want. But I know the, the spirit within me is saying, you know, that ain't right. That's no, also but, because
2: you have better theology
1: have better too,
0: that. But con- consider our last podcast about heaven. You know, a lot of people think that, well, I, I believe I can talk to my, you know, my um, dead grandmother or my spouse or whomever that has gone and emotionally they it feels right to them and they maybe mm-hmm. have an experience about that and it's it's helpful to them. But if they were to explore Scripture, Scripture is very clear that
2: that's necromancy. It,
0: that's necromancy. It's <laughs> actually forbidden uh, to try to communicate with the dead. The, the Lord strongly condemns that, and that there's a gulf fixed between the living and the dead. And you know, clearly angels wouldn't try to deceive you, but demons would. And so it, it's it's a biblically a really clear thing. But it sits right. You know, being able to talk to your dead loved one might feel good to the person out there. So I think. We got to be careful to let our feelings be. Yeah, but, but, I I, but I don't think that's
3: not what that. But I don't think that's what he's. he's talking about the opposite. He's not talking about affirming something because it feels right. You know, like a Debbie Boone theology. How could right. it be wrong when it feels so right. But but he's talking about the uh, the alerts, the alarm bells going off when you hear something false, or from a teacher that's false, even if what they're saying is true. And I will give you a perfect example. Many years ago, in Charlotte getting ready one Sunday morning for church. This old guy's on TV. And I'm listening, and everything he says sounds right. But there's just something about me. I just, you know, there, there's something there. You know? mm-hmm. And then at the end, I find out it's uh, Herbert Levy Armstrong. Okay, yeah, nice. but but what he was saying was fine. I didn't know who he was, but there was an alarm going off inside. Is that kind of what you're talking? Yeah, about? I mean that,
1: that. I mean, I've had several people, like again, say, "Hey, listen to this person." Somebody ne- I've never heard. And I'll be listening, and, and I'm like, man. And then they'll start hitting on something. Yeah, prime example, this is the first time everybody used to talk about Joel Osteen. So I was like, you know what? And as I've said, is my weakness. I always try to, give, try to give them a chance. So I was like, okay, I'm going to listen to Joel Osteen. And I will say that the first 20 minutes of the sermon, I'm like, yeah, this is good. And then it just turned – it became this – ding, 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 these bells and whistles started going off, and I started realizing that uh, it wasn't correct, and um, so then I listened to another one, and it was the same mm-hmm. same thing, wear your blessings out loud, and I'm like, man, this is not right, because I, again, I want to give somebody a, a chance, so. Um,
2: to be fair to Terry's point, though, I didn't feel right about Jesus only dying for the elect for a long time, so. It false. doesn't. It doesn't mean. It doesn't it is mean that false you're. Teaching. Uh, is false teaching. We're not saying that's the
3: only thing. We're, we're saying it's one of those. Right. Things. But, so, but, like, but like when a guy stands up at the beginning of his message and he holds up a Bible and he has everybody talk about, you know, this is God's word and so. This forth. This is
2: my Bible. You, you're, you're Terry can do to, it better than I you're can. You're
3: going to think, hey, this this is getting ready to be something right, but then, it goes... so you pick up. Theologically, that this guy may hold a Bible in his hand, but he doesn't have the truth in his mouth.
2: Which is which is the point that Adam was making. Ultimately, is is he, if you don't read your Bible, you're not going to know <laughs> right from wrong. Right. So we're all in agreement on that. One of the things I would say is like the different systematic theologies we mentioned. One of the things that's cool and usually to our listeners, systematic theologies don't—they're not cheap. Usually, they're usually pretty big volumes, and so it takes. That's why I don't own all of them, but. If you have access to them, maybe at a library or even sometimes online, what you'll find is is if you can if you compare it even the four or five that we mentioned, there's actually going to be a lot in common there. Mm-hmm. And so there's going to be more some more common than there is not. Right. So there's going to be some distinctions. But I think it's helpful if you're saying, Okay, I see this in scripture, and then I'm reading from these other people who have studied, who have spent decades of, of study and have benefited from centuries of people learning, and I seem like I'm in agreement with them. That doesn't necessarily mean that you're right because you're in agreement with them. But if you see it in Scripture and other people are also seeing it in Scripture, that's a pretty good indicator that you're within orthodoxy. If you start having this idea of, well, I think it might be like this, and you start reading and you're the only person that's ever seen that in the Bible, you're probably probably wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Or if you hear somebody on TV or the radio or whatever and they start saying something and you're like, you know, I've never heard that before, it might be because... Nobody's ever thought it before, including God.
3: Kind of like a a lady uh, that was speaking to a large crowd, a woman preacher, and she's talking about the Holy Spirit being blue.
2: Yeah, yeah, right, yeah, yeah. yeah he's like the genie in Aladdin, exactly, exactly. Yeah, which is blasphemy. Sure it is. Um, but uh, but yeah, you, when you start to hear something about that, you are like, mm, you got a chapter and verse for that one because last time I checked, he's a spirit, which means you can't see him. So um, you have to you have to ch- check things like that out. You know, then you get theology questions like. My son, when he was four, said, Daddy, if God is a spirit and doesn't have a body, then how can he speak the world into existence? And so then I have to tell him as a four-year-old, like, um, son, that's called anthropomorphic language, oh, and God. this is what this means. Yeah. <laughs> that was a good answer. Yes. But but it's a valid like my question. Kids don't ask those questions. Um, it's a valid question, and kids have those kind of questions. They're, they are good at sharpening our theology. The last thing I wanted us to to discuss on a practical level. Amen. Is okay. Let's say you're listening to this, and and you're a faithful church member. Maybe you're a deacon. Maybe you're a Sunday school teacher. Maybe uh, you're just volunteering somewhere in the church. If you're not, you should be because God commands you to do it. Um, let's just say you know you're a member. Maybe you're a college student. Maybe you're uh, you know a mother with children. Maybe you're a single parent. Uh, maybe you're somebody who's been divorced. It could be any variety of things. You're in, you're in church on Sunday and you hear your pastor say something that's kind of like mm, it just kind of triggers one of those flags of I'm not really sure about that. Okay? If I'm that person, what do I do?
0: Go directly to the pastor in his office or something like that.
2: You know, find it it usually
0: if you're in a good solid church, um Bible believing church and you hear something like that, that's probably because the pastor didn't word it perfectly. Or, or maybe you just didn't hear it. You didn't hear it, great. Or so, so give give the dude the benefit of the doubt, <laughs> and don't start spreading something and go to somebody else. Did you hear that? And that was wrong. And just just go to the pastor and talk to the pastor.
3: And in fact, I would feel, uh, you know, blessed if a church member comes and asks yes. me a question about that statement. Or I know they've paid attention. I know they're weighing things out that's a sign of spiritual maturity. I mean, I would be thrilled. It's beautiful. It. You had to you get mean, up there one
1: Sunday, just the whole time, preach false doctrine, sin if anybody catches it, yeah. and then that preaching it itself. Yeah, but <laughs> you would love that as a
3: pastor. Sure. I mean. Well, Paul, Paul commended the uh, Bereans that they were more noble than the people of Thessalonica yes. because they searched the scriptures to see if these things were so. And if Paul didn't mind that, then I shouldn't mind that I should
2: embrace it. Well, because because any pastor who is not a false teacher is going to recognize that they're a sinner and that they make mistakes and that there may be times that they need to be corrected. Sure. Mm-hmm. And of course, one of the best ways to do that is to have a plurality of elders for
1: mm-hmm. that accountability.
2: But uh, I mean, we've done that. I've heard guys preach sermons before and refer to the Holy spirit in a neuter form and say it. it yeah. And I've told them after service, Hey, you realize you refer to the Holy spirit as it in your message. Now, some people would say, well, that's nitpicking. But as a pastor, what I'm saying is I want to make sure that the people in the pew— You're teaching theology. Right, that they're understanding correctly that the Holy Spirit is a he, not in the sense that he has a physical gender. But if the Holy Spirit writes himself down as a he, I'm going to call him a he. Correct. Um, and so even just simple things like that, when I went to that brother and mentioned that, he didn't take that as a rebuke. He said, well, you know what? You're right. I just didn't—like Tony said, I just didn't realize that I did that. I'm going to try to be more mindful about doing that. I've had people come to me and say, you know, you said this, and it sounded like what you meant was this. And after some conversation, we realized, oh, okay, there was a miscommunication there. I know guys who have preached, and they've had to come back the next week and said, hey, before we get started, I need to address something that I said last week that was unclear and correct that error. In most cases, people are not, uh, most pastors I know, they're not set out to teach the Scripture falsely or whatever. What do you do when you go to that pastor and he bristles up? You know, I know some guys that are like, you're a worm. What right do you have to come and tell me whether or not I can preach God's word? I I have met pastors like that before that are above correction. What do you do in that situation if you're a church member?
3: Well, I I think uh, biblically, then you talk to some other mature people. In case where there's a plurality of elders, you would go to another uh, elder. I think also it's helpful, what is it? uh, You know, the the Bible says if you're going to confront an elder, there needs to be Multiple witnesses. Yeah, it's so, a big deal. You know, yeah. somebody else needs to be concerned besides you. And and so that's where you go with those two and, and talk to them about it. And if that's not resolved, then you take it to the to the next level. But you don't go out and organize a movement to, to fire the guy, but but you don't just leave it be or you don't. There, there may come a point where you see nothing's going to change and you have to leave the church.
2: I watched a video that RC Sproul did recently on division in the church. Is there a time where the church needs to be divided?
3: Well, sure, sure. It's not peace at any price, but there's also a time, depending on the the nature of the circumstance, where you, if you speak out and, and people know this and they're not going to choose sides to you know oppose false teaching, then you have to you know saturate the place with your absence. Yeah, and, uh, that's that's my. Because in the congregational form of government, then it's not going to change without the, the predominant
0: number of folks. And that's got to be between the person and the Lord. I mean, sure. I, you, we can't really tell them when is the time for you yeah. to leave. Yeah, and how
2: much? How long do you put up? Yeah, right. yeah, so there's not a one size fits all solution because it depends on the church, it depends on the teacher, it depends on the member. It's definitely something that you want to do prayerfully and carefully because you don't want to cause unnecessary division in the church. You don't want to disrupt the unity of the church, if at all possible. I think one of the points that you're making, which may be a good follow-up episode, is that sometimes ecclesiology makes a difference when you have false teaching in the church. Sure, sure. Because there ha- there has to be a way to even carry that out. In some churches, even if you bring witnesses and all that, there is no way to take it to the church. Mm-hmm. And, and, and in that case, you're in a situation where basically it's just you can't do anything and you just have to leave. And sometimes that happens. And sometimes you may have the option of blowing the church up, but that's not really the most loving way to handle the situation. And I think sometimes in rare circumstances, not in most circumstances, but in rare circumstances, the church needs to blow up, which is uncomfortable. And that could be a whole other topic in itself. Yeah. Well,
3: and it, it could work this way. Let, let's say somebody comes to Pole Creek and they're of a Pentecostal persuasion, and, and they want to speak in tongues. They want me to do faith healing and all that. But that, that person is not necessarily a heretic, you know, mm-hmm. but they're, they're just not going to fit in here. There are places where they will, and for them to stay here and advocate that and push that, or begin to say, "I'm not a you know a whole a full gospel preacher," you know that to me not that's not wrong. Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah. They want to go to a spirit filled church,
3: right? Right. Then they need to go find find more. Okay, and just pray for us you know, that we'll become that spirit-filled congregation. So.
2: Adam, you have any thoughts on that? On the idea of, of what does that church member do if they approach a pastor that has taught something falsely and they don't want to hear it?
1: Well, I mean, again, as we said, you, you've you got to pray about it and look to move on. I think one thing that you got to be real careful on is, is you, you need to check yourself. <laughs> Maybe bounce off somebody else. Am I wrong? You know, um, people get upset about translations, stuff like that, that, you know, so you want to check yourself and, and bounce you don't,
2: it off. splitting the church over the music is ridiculous, right? So <laughs> you want to, you want to bounce it
1: off. You want to bounce it off somebody else. And, and then, you know, if, if you approach that person and, and the pastor, whoever, and they, they, uh, buck at it and they don't receive it, then you, you might have an issue. But I, I would say the one thing not to do is automatically try to create division and, mm-hmm. Split the church right off the bat without going through it one on one. That would
0: be the work of Satan.
2: There.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah. You want to make sure that when it comes down to a doctrinal issue, you can have right doctrine and wrong practice. Yeah. Yep. Uh, you can do that. At the same time, I think there are some situations, and again, these would be more rare situations in a lot of circumstances where maybe the doctrine is so bad that there does need to be something public about it for the sake of loving the brothers and sisters in the congregation. For instance, in our area, in the history of our area over the last hundred years, there have been guys that have gotten up in the pulpit, a brand new pastor, and say things like, Jesus wasn't born of a virgin, or Jesus didn't actually rise from the dead, or the story of creation is mythology. Yeah. The reality is, at some point, it may not be culturally appropriate for you to stand up and scream and rip your garments, but you might have to do something culturally equivalent to that for the sake of the other people who may not even understand that it's error. And I wouldn't encourage anybody to just, oh, this Sunday I'm going to go blow it wide open, you know, because this is a rare circumstance. I think in most churches now, those kind of things don't happen.
0: Matthew 18 would say that that should be a third-rung Right. So that's not your first option. <laughs>
2: yeah. Right, but but what I'm saying is I've seen people that have left churches that clearly had false teaching, very clearly. And they felt like, okay, I just need to leave quietly and just let it be. But the thing is you're leaving all those other people in error. Yeah. And there's a difference like we said between, you know, somebody getting a minor doctrine wrong, but it's like if somebody's preaching a different Christology, if they're preaching a different gospel altogether, You may not really be loving your brothers and sisters in Christ by leaving them in that situation.
1: I I know we're wrapping it up, but I mean, I think not necessarily even, well, it is theology, but stances on marriage, stances on that type of thing. I think all that plays into it as well. And I think that's what we're facing, especially in our area, things of that nature.
2: So if you're listening to this podcast and you're a church member or a church leader we would encourage you always to check whatever it is that you're hearing or you're teaching against God's word first, that you should use resources that are available to you like confessions and systematic theologies, your pastors and others that you trust uh, that believe the word of God to help hold you accountable. That if you hear false teaching that you do need to respond to it in a biblical way by first going directly to that person and expressing your concern bringing another party and eventually bringing it to the church if possible. And that we should all be striving to be biblical in whatever context it's in, whether it's teaching our own families at home, teaching in the church in the community that we want to be doctrinally sound. So we would encourage you to do that. And stay tuned for our next podcast, which will be on a very exciting yet undisclosed topic. You can
0: continue the conversation online by visiting us on Facebook at facebook.com slash the number four horseman. Don't forget to tell your friends and enemies about the podcast. And be sure to subscribe and review. They look
2: at me funny when I talk like I got a speech oh, impediment. Day. Homie, check my passport. Heaven, oh, I'm a resident. Day. Like a conscious rapper, but do more than the oh, president. Day. I see brothers coughing, so I hit them with the medicine on the other side they say the grass is greener seen the forecast man they calling for katrina